Okay, today's daf is Baba Kama Samech, Baba Kama 60, and uh, we pick up one line from the top, or the second line, Shalach Biat Keach, and um, as I'm recording this, I'm recording it from Yerushalayim, Yer Kodesh, and our learning should be in the Zuchus of the protection of our Chayalim and Chayalot, and of um, the safety and security of our people. Um, okay, so the Mishnah said that if a person may, is making a fire, um, and um, it's pr- presumably the fire is, uh, it, it was only big enough to, um, and it would have gone out by itself. It doesn't say that in the Mishnah, but that seems to be the case. Um, and then somebody comes and adds something to it and makes it a substantial fire, then the latter person is liable. So if you had a type of a small fire and somebody came and added wood, the person who added wood, he's the one who makes it the fire. If you had a um, wood and obviously somebody lit the wood, then the one who lit the wood is the man who makes it a fire. And if you have somebody who comes and uh, and it's a small fire, when you have somebody who comes and blows on it and turns it into a fire that's substantial and that is potentially dangerous, then the um, then the um, one who came and blows on it is the one who is liable. You could define this both in terms of like negligence, um, but it really also seems here similar to discussions around the bore that it's a question of like whose fire is it? And the person who made it into a potential danger, it's that person's fire. That could also be connected to the question of Eishu Mishum Chitzav and Eishu Mishum Mamono. Okay, so now on the part of the mission where it says that if a person blew on it that made it into a substantial fire, he's the one that is liable. It says, we have the following Gemara, um, that's actually part of the mission we're skipping over. If you have the version, Liba, to blow on it, that's not a bad version, that's not an error version, a corrupt version, and if you have the version Niba, that's also not a corrupt version. Both of those are legitimate versions of the language of the Mishnah. Liba comes from the word Labat age, the flame of the fire. So Liba would mean to turn it into a flame. Um, and that's, so that's why that's a legitimate version. And Mandatani, Liba lo mishtabech tichsiv, God who creates the speech of the lips, so it means like the blowing of the lips. Okay, both of those are legitimate versions. If, however, you know, one person added the wood and one the fire, and one blew on it, and it was not substantial enough to do anything, and it would have gone out, and then the wind made it into a substantial fire, then they're all exempt because none of them did anything. You know, of course, it raises a question of like, whose property is it in? If it was my wood and my fire, you know, is it, am I really exempt if I? I'm aware of it. If I'm aware of it, shouldn't I be responsible to put it out? And if I don't put it out, then I do become liable, like similar to breaking a vessel in Rishat Rabim, and you're responsible, you know, to clean it up. Make, yeah, if you're not, then it's like you're a bore. Anyway, that's not exactly described, discussed. Let's assume that, you know, we did our thing and we walked away and it was in Rishat Rabim and it was in a, a public space and then the wind came and blew it. Okay, and again, presumably also it was not a wind that we could have anticipated, you know, that's a question of Ruch Mitsuya or Eina Mitsuya. Um, which, um, okay, so now let's see what the Gemara says. Tanura Banan. So if, let's say, here's a bright that deals with the case not in the Mishnah, let's say it's you plus the wind. You blew it and the wind blew on it. Um, and If your blowing had enough to um, make it into a substantial fire on its own, then it's your fire and you're liable. But if not, if your blowing was nothing and it was only combined with the wind, um, then you are off the hook because you are not the one who turned it into a fire. Now the Gemara says, wait a minute, that's a little bit strange. Assuming that they 
did it like at the same time, you know, so which it seems to be how the bright is different than the Mishnah. So if you know there's a wind blowing and you're adding your blowing, so you're sort of combining with the forces of nature and the ingredients present, aren't you the one controlling everything and aren't you the one making it a fire? So even if yours didn't have enough, if it contributed, and um, why isn't this all considered to be your actions? So that's what the Gemara says, but it asks that question by comparing it to Shabbos. The Gemara says like this, Amai, why is this true? Why isn't this like a case like winnowing, not zoreya, not seeding, winnowing, um, which winnowing is when after the cow, like after you have cut down the wheat and the cow walks over a board plank with like spikes and it separates the husk from the kernel. Um, now you have to separate, so now its husk is broken off from the kernel, and I have to separate the shaft from the wheat. So the first way you do this is you take it all and you, you know, in some type of a basket and you throw it up and the wind comes and the wind blows away the shaft, which is lighter, and the wheat falls down. And that's your first process in separating the, uh, the, chief, the, the chaff from the wheat. That's called zora. So when you do zora, you're using the wind to blow away the chaff, and you're chayim. That's actually the exact act of what zora is. So why not here too say it's, you know, you're using the, 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 the wind, and therefore it's your actions. So Rabbi says what we're talking about is you didn't actually do it together with the wind. You blew on one side, and the wind was blowing on the other side. So like if you could imagine if you were to split the fire down in half, right? So your actions sort of went, didn't do anything. The wind on its own didn't combine with you what you did. What you did wasn't substantial enough by itself. And therefore, the wind is the thing that turned it into a flame. And what you did was completely inconsequential to what the wind was. You weren't sort of participating with the blowing of the wind. All right, so that's what he says. Um, um, and now the Gemara gives another answer. Um, Rava Amar Rava says, No, you, you were using the wind, but even with the wind that was present and normal winds that you could have expected, it was not going to turn into a flame. And then came this big gust of wind and turned it into a flame. So in that type of a case, your actions were not, you can't manipulate something that you can't that you can't anticipate. So you weren't using the ingredients at your disposal. You did something that was insubstantial and something else came completely unrelated to and unconnected to your actions and turned it into a fire. Now, again, it does raise an interesting question of, okay, I didn't turn it into a fire, but again, if I was still there, because it seems to be happening simultaneously and it turned into a fire and I'm the one that's been, you know, working with it, don't I have a responsibility to like put it out, you know, assuming that it's not uncontrollable from the get-go. So that is not discussed, but I think that's obviously a question that, uh, you know, uh, uh, that, that is just ev- present in all of these sugyot. Okay, but anyway, it's not your fire in that case. So Rebzeira said it's a case where you were like, you were like barely blowing on it, you know. You would just, um, like, like Rashi sort of says, like, you know, like, like the type of blowing you do on your hands to warm them up. So therefore, you're not using the wind. What you're doing is not like half and half, and you're not, you know, the wind is doing its own thing and you're doing something completely insubstantial. Um, okay, so again, not, these are not pshat. The pshat seems to be every case that you are not doing enough by yourself, you're exempt. So finally, we're going to have an answer that's going to deal, that, that's going to embrace that pshat. Um, when do we say that, you know, winnowing in the wind helps you, you're liable? 
Um, that's when it comes to Shabbos. Because the Torah says, you know, is learned from the Mishkan, and it has to be something intentional. Now, this is very strange, because normally, is an exemption. If you try to do one thing and you did another thing, even slightly different, you tried to throw it four Amos, and it went eight Amos, you tried to pick the black, you know, the, you know, the uh, dates, and you picked the white dates. Because it's not precisely your intent, you know, that's not a real Chilul Shabbos. Here, we're using to make you liable. Here we're saying, since it focuses on the intentionality and therefore what you're trying to do is separate the wheat from the chaff and therefore we don't focus on the fact that your action by itself you know, couldn't have done it all on its own and that you had to use the wind because we allow ourselves to focus on the end result as well. That's, you know, you achieve the desired end result. Okay? But here it's just grama, it's just indirect. And indirectness when it comes to actions are exempt. Now again, besides the fact that Meleches Moshevis is normally a, a, a limiting factor, not a ex- way to expand your liability. It's very strange that Shabbos here is more expansive in its definitions than Nezikin. Because, um, you know, anytime you're dealing with a question of Isser, did I do a violation, you want to focus on the fact of, did I do the act? You know, not just did I achieve my end result, but Isurim are always about the prohibited act. Whereas, um, um, whereas by nezek, you know, the aspect of like negligence is a huge one. So clearly, there's negligence here. So and you're exempt. So you know, you, if you say Aisha of Mishumas, you know, Mishum Chitzo, fine. You could understand that it has to be all more of you, um, and maybe that's explaining why the grama gets you off the hook, even though you're using the pres- the wind that's present. Um, if you say Aisha Mishumamono, you know, this would be like a little ironic. But again. Maybe there, you know, you, you could say if, if it's not an ownership of a fire, even though you're negligent and you were negligent to let it escape and you were clearly negligent to create it, since you didn't directly create it, we can't call it your fire. It's not like you dug the pit. It's not like you totally did it, so you don't own it. It's not your fire. But again, it's quite strange that the liability for Shabbos, you know, is um, um, broader than where we're dealing with an action focus rather than the liability for Nazikin, where we tend to be dealing with a negligence focus. That's one point to make. The other, I should say, though, is that by Shabbos, you know, what's being ignored here, and maybe this is what Ravashi means, but what's being ignored here is the fact of a standard way of doing something. Like, let's talk about the Isser of, you know, the Malach of, of cooking on Shabbos, right? So, um, so on Shabbos, what do you do? You put something on the fire. Now, the moment you put it on the fire, you haven't exactly cooked it. Um, you know, the moment that you put it on the fire, it's just sitting there and it's slowly, slowly warming up and it takes an hour to cook. But when it actually finishes cooking, you're high of. Um, even though you didn't cook it, you didn't transform it with your hands and so on, you put it in a situation, but that's called cooking. The same way that's what's called winnowing, is you throw it up and the wind comes. Whereas here, so that's what I think you could have said, and maybe that is what Ravashi means, that's the classic way the act is done. Because we do normally have a principle by Shabbos that grama is putter, you know? And if I use the wind to help me with something that normally it wouldn't be the normal way to do it. I don't know, I threw something up intentionally to have the wind blow it onto the stove and then it was on the stove and it cooked. Am I high for that? It's Melechus Moshevis. Presumably not. So it sounds like one way to understand Ravashi is that this is what cook, 
what cooking means, you know, what this is what winnowing means, whereas here, in order to make it the fire, you have to make it all by yourself. Still, it is strange that no, you know that your actions are going to combine with the wind and turn it into a fire and that you still are somehow exempt. And Tosos makes this point. If you look at this little Tosos, Tosos says, or the Libu, Tosa says, let's replace the wind with your friend. So, you know, you know, both of you contributed half. You know, you contributed, you know, half a flame that wouldn't have been enough. He contributed, I mean, half flame that by itself would have gone off. He contributed another flame by itself would have gone off. But the combination does it. You both blow. One blowing wouldn't have been enough, but the two blowings are enough. Are we going to say that combined you made a fire and that you're going to be exempt? I mean, why should it be different if it's the wind or your friend? But then says, but that's bizarre. Two people can make a fire that's actually dangerous and they're exempt because no one did any one thing by himself. Um, presumably, it's a shoot. It's a joint fire, okay? So here, you know, would we say, so it seems like that's the difference, that because it's an issue of who made it and who owns it, if two people made it equally, they're equal owners. But if I and the wind made it, well, the wind can't be an owner of the fire, and so we're not, it's not my shutaf. So, okay, so I would have said, I used the wind, that's why it's all my fire. And, and then we say, no, it's not my fire at all. Very bizarre conclusion. Okay, let's take a look at the next Mishnah. Somebody sent a flame out, you know, and it went and it and it ate the wood or stones or dirt, you know, it didn't destroy them, but it blackened them. It, um, you're obligated. The fire goes out and it and it finds uh, thorns or you know thistles and it and it burns up a um, a, 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 a haystack, a stack of grain, I should say, um, and oa um, kamal or standing grain or the field the one who makes it shall definitely pay. Okay, so it's just saying presumably the Chiddush of the Mishnah other than to translate a Pasuk into Halacha presumably the Chiddush is to say that um, that uh, even if it didn't consume something and destroy it, it just blackened it with fire damage, that is enough. I should mention that the Shalech et and we had that in the previous Mishnah as well, is an interesting verb to be using because there's a Pasuk right here that actually in Mishpatim that says, right, Vishilach et Biro, which the Gemara explains to means, you know, Shane and Regel. But the, Pash, the, the those who sort of explain the Pshat of the Torah say that actually that sounds like you are sending forth your flame. You are intentionally, um, you know, burning something rather than the next Pasuk, which is Kitetzeesh, it escaped, you know, as opposed to intentionally lighting something fire. It could be the difference between Eshem Shubchitzav and Eshem Mamono. And that the difference in the Psukim is when it says, Vishilachet Biro, it says, you have to pay the best. It doesn't say that when it's kitetzeish. So it's interesting that the Mishnah, that's in the Pshat, you know, um, and we'll see something similar in the Gemara coming up about a difference between when you light it in your property or you light it in somebody else's property. But anyway, the Mishnah, it's interesting that it chooses to use the verb hamishaleach, hasholeach. Okay, let's take a look at the Gemara. Amar Rava, why did the Torah have to give all those examples of different types of things that the fire is burning? You need all of them. If it had said just you know, the thorns and the, the bramble, okay, that's the type of thing that you know, it lights to you know, kindling or whatever, this type of stuff that the fire will easily take hold of, then that's why you're chayav, because then clearly you're negligent. Um, um, 
Mashiach um, Pasha, and therefore it's like you know likely that you were negligent. Um, um, uh, but about Gadish, if it actually burned a stack of wheat, the Loshchiyachesh Kabayu that the fire is not common. Um, you know, it's not that it would go all the way out and burn a stack of wheat, uh, a, a mound of wheat. The Pasha, it's not likely that you would be negligent. Amalo, I might think no. It has to tell you that even if that's what happened, that you know, if you you know we're going to hold you responsible, even if you said, oh, who could have thought that it was going to go all this distance and get that, you know, you know that, 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 that uh, stack over there, that haystack or that wheat stack. Um, okay, the ikaz of Rechman Gidish, but I just said the case of the stack of, uh, of the mound of uh, grain, that's when the Torah says you have to pay because that's like a serious loss of, uh, serious loss. Um, um, but, you know, thorns and thistles, like, you know, or whatever, uh, you know, kindling, um, um, that's only a small loss to the owner, aim alone, maybe you wouldn't be obligated, which again is quite strange because, you know, who cares if it's a dollar, who cares a hundred dollars? If I'm liable, I'm liable. But maybe this is just saying, you know, the age is something escapes and it's not you yourself who's doing it, so maybe the Torah would have limited it. Okay, Kamala um, Lamali, um, why did the Torah have to say standing grain? To tell you that the same way standing grain is something that it's exposed, anything exposed, but this is the Torah, the exemption of Tamun Be'ish, something buried in the haystack, you're going to be exempt for it. Um, but how about Rebbe Yehuda that says that things that are buried, you are obligated for fire payment? So, comma, Lamali, why did it have to say standing grain? The rabbis kobale koma to say everything that is standing. It doesn't have to be, you know, uh, stuff growing from the ground. Rashi says even animals, any type of property. Okay, over abanan, the rabbis kobale koma minalu. And where do the rabbis know to include that? Nafkaluhumi ohasade. It says or the fields. So the extra o is coming to include something else. Rabbi Yehuda, I did kafshuchmana ohakama because it said the o by the um, by the standing grain. Kasef ohasade. It says the extra O by the field, even though one O is enough to tell you, you know, we mean, you know, we mean um, something uh, in addition. Okay, so Sada Lamli, and why did it say field? This is actually seems what the Chiddush of the Mishnah is. To tell you, even if it doesn't destroy something, even if it just like burned and charred your plowed field or your stones, that's still fire damage, and even though it didn't actually destroy it. So just write field and tell me if even fire damage, then certainly if it destroys something. Um, no, you need it. If it had just said field, I would have thought that it meant you know only something that's actually in the field and not other things. Okay, so which is meaning I would have interpreted the word sada differently. I want I would have interpreted it not to mean the ground, but I would have interpreted it to mean the wheat and the uh, the haystack and all those things. But after it said wheat and haystack, and then it says sada, clearly it means even the ground. Okay, I'm Now we're going to get into a whole agotic section. Um, you know, bad things only happen to the world when there are evil people in the world. Now, you might say, uh, you know, often bad, good people suffer. Okay, but we're not done. Um, so, um, so he says, um, but the people who actually first get, you know, suffer when suffering comes to the world are the righteous people. Not very fair. When a fire goes out, 
um, and finds, you know, the, the thorns, Amos Aishio, it says, when does this fire come, you know, this burning, this destructive forces, when there are thorns that are, you know, the very easy or like uh, kindling, stuff that's very easy for it to catch on, but thorns here means the evil people. So evil people, you know, whether, you know, like unleash bad things in the world, you know, whether they unleash it personally because they're doing it or whether they unleash it because in some sense of, you know, the metaphysical way that God created the world or God, in, in, you know, in sort of an intentional way is bringing it, but it comes because of evil in the world and bad people, but then the people who suffer first are the righteous. Okay, and the, and the, and the Gadish, the, uh, you know, the pile of grain is consumed. It doesn't say that it then, after consuming the kotim, it then consumes the and the Gdish was consumed. That, that would have already happened even before it got to the Kotzim. And, you know, this is, again, the rabbis trying to deal with the reality of Tzadik Viralo. They didn't really explain why it's fair, but they recognize that that's part of how the world works. Okay, Tanarev Yosef. So since we were dealing with a statement, uh, you know, about, like, the Tzadikim and about uh, unleashing evil, we're going to have similar. What does it mean, you know, when most tells them about Makas Bechoros, don't go out of the, your household until morning. Um, he, why not? You know, God is going to protect them. No. Once there's permission for destructive forces to be unleashed, you know, it does not distinguish between good and evil. Then, you know, innocent people get caught up and innocent people um, suffer. So it's a little different than saying it starts with the righteous, you know, people, but it recognizes the same reality when there is destructive forces and, you know, happening in the world, um, the righteous people will suffer. The low owed Ella, and now we're going to go make the point we made before. Beyond this, Ella should it actually does start from the righteous. will destroy from you tzadik and a rasha, starting with the tzadik. Okay. Bachi um, Rav Yosef. So Rav Yosef cried. Is all of these people, all the righteous people, they're worth nothing? Like they don't get protected and it even starts with them? No, actually, you know, if, if, it's going to happen. It's better that it happens to them first. Again, not exactly fair why they are the ones that suffer, but he's saying it's actually better that they that they die first. Deceive um, because of the evil, the righteous person is gathered in, and therefore, in order so he doesn't have to see the suffering that is going to come to the world. Um, so you know, very uh, dealing with a lot of um, uh, you know uh, harsh realities out there, and trying to give some type of a religious explanation or recognition um, to. The these things. Okay. I'm Rev Yudam Rav said in the name of Rav. Um, so again, about the things about bad forces out there, a person should always come in if he's traveling, come into the city while it's still light. So don't be traveling, you know, make sure you come into the city and you settle down or whatever while it's still light. Um, otherwise, you know, there are bandits and wild animals and so on. And when you leave you, your house, you know, or to go on a trip or you leave to go to the next city, you should also make sure that it is light. Don't go out until the morning. Okay, so wait till the morning. Okay, Tanarabana. If there's pestilence in the city, stay at home. Okay, so, you know, I know this was Makas Bechoros, but still, these type of forces that just kill, you know, you could think about a time of a plague. Corona, everybody stayed at home. Okay, so, you know, these pandemics, stay at home. Because it says, don't go out of your house. Um... 
Go, my people, go into your chambers and close your doors. From outside is the sword, and from inside is fear. Okay, so now the sword is not exactly uh, a pestilence, okay, but still, when these type of evil forces are out there, stay at home. Why do you need excerpts? Maybe it's only ad bokeh, maybe you only have to stay indoors when these bad things are at night, but not in the daytime. So the next pasuk is more general, just as stay, you know, go in and close yourself up. Maybe only close myself up if I'm not also afraid when I'm inside my house. But if I'm afraid even inside my house. So then if I'm like trembling and, you know, and anxious at home, maybe I should go out and be with people and that will make me feel better. You know, an interesting question about how people chose to react at the time of Corona, you know, what it means to be socially isolated. Um, so Baab uh, so says, no, from outside is the sword and from inside is fear and trembling. Even though you'll be inside and you'll have fear, you should know that the sword is making people, you know, bereaved outside and it's better to remain inside. Okay, fascinating based on things we've experienced not so long ago. Okay, Rava, okay, Rava at a time of God's anger, which again, Rashi says means like pestilence or a pandemic, um, you know, uh, he would close the windows. Um, window, death has arisen in our windows. Again, interesting now that we know about germs and so on. Okay, um, you know, the idea of social isolation, not to catch it from other people. Um, was there some awareness of, not of, not of the germ theory, but of the reality here? But also they're responding to the psukim, obviously. Tanurbanan, Rav Bi'ir, if there is um, uh, um, um, hunger in the city, it's uh, famine, so then, leave the city, go out, maybe you'll find another place where you can find food. Spread out your legs. There was, you know, a, a famine in the land, and Avram went down to Egypt. He didn't stay where he was. Maybe your luck will be better somewhere else. Lagursham to live there. The omen. Another verse says, This is about the uh, lepers that were Mitzoraim that were outside the city, and they said, if we go into the city, well, there's a famine in the city, so we will die. So let's rather throw ourselves on the troops of Aram, and we'll risk our lives. But maybe they will take mercy on us, and maybe we will live. Okay, my Omer, why do you need another Pasuk after the Pasuk of Avraham? That's only when, if, you know, traveling and going out of your city doesn't expose you to other, for, other types of dangers of your life. Um, but if it exposes you to other dangers and you're risking your life in other ways, lo, maybe you should just stay where you are. Let's throw ourselves on the, on the troops of Aram if they have us live, we'll live, and if they kill us, well, we're going to die here anyway. Okay, so there you see, even though you're taking risks, you should, you know, get yourself out, and maybe you will uh, find what to sustain yourself during this period of famine. Okay, Tanar Banan, Devar Biyar Ayyalecha, 
Adam Be'emsa Haderech. Now, some of this, as we said, could be explained in practical terms. This is not going to seem so practical, um, and it's going to have to do with a particular metaphysical uh, perspective. If there is pestilence in the city, don't go in the middle of the road if you're traveling. Because the angel of death, so you're outside, you're supposed to be inside at a time of pestilence. But if you are outside, because there's all of these forces unleashed and so on, the angel of death has greater, you know, feels very comfortable and he's walking straight down the middle of the road. So stay out of the middle of the road. Again, maybe this is also where other people are, so it's good advice in terms of staying away from people. Okay, since he's been given permission to bring his death to the world, so uh, he walks straight away, he walks in the middle. Shalom um, Now, if it's a good time in the city, then Then don't go at the edges. Go down the middle of the road. The kibun the Shusa, because since the Malach uh, does not have permission to, uh, you know, to act in public, so umaski. So we like, you know, he hides and he he walks. So he walks at the edges. So you know, then you'll be sort of um, you're exposing yourself there to the evil forces. So. When things are good, go with the flow. Don't start, don't start going and you know to, to marginal types of activities. Is the way we could read it. Okay, Tanar Banan, coming here. Um, if there's pestilence in the city, do not go see, by yourself into the home, into the uh, show, because again, the sense of pestilence, malachamaves, and the mazikim, and so on. Um, and when you're with other people, you are more protected from the mazikim. although here it's specifically the angel of death, because that's where the angel of death keeps his uh, vessels, like you know, his sith and his other types of things, in the Beit Knesset. Why there, I don't know, but again, Beit Knesset was also not just a show, but a gathering place, so maybe it's speaking about the idea that it's coming out against the whole population. So you, the Beit Knesset is particularly dangerous, don't go there alone. But that's only if there's not a cheder there, children aren't running there, there's not a minion there, but if those things are happening and there are people present, then you're, you know, you'll be protected again, even though you're supposed to be in your house during this time. Okay. Um, if you hear dogs crying, you know it means that the angel of death is going to come to the city, you know, animals sensing that something bad is about to happen. Um, if the dogs are like yapping and having a good time, that means that Elio is coming into the city. Um, but that's only if there's not a female dog among them, otherwise they might be doing it because of sexual excitement. Okay, four lines down in the middle lines. Yosef Ravami, Ravazi, coming to Rav Nafka, Ravami and Ravazi were sitting in front of Rav Nafka, one said, you know, tell us some uh, halachic discussion. I want to learn halacha. I want to learn, no, agadita. tell me something nice, you know, machshava related. Okay, so so he started to, he figured, okay, maybe he was more interested in giving a little bit of a drasha. He started to say an agadita. Um, um, and the other one said, no, that's not fair. I want to learn halacha. Then he was fine. He started teaching halacha. The other one said, no, that's not fair. I want to learn a Gadotah. He said to them, let me give you a parable. What is this similar to? Um, a person who had two wives. A man had two wives. A young wife and an older wife. So the young wife, you know, picks out all of his white hairs from his beard or his head. The older wife picks out all of his dark hairs, doesn't want him to look young. He winds up being bald on this way and this way, bald in the white 
white, you know, white from his white hairs and bald from his dark hairs, and then he winds up being totally bald, which is a phrase also in modern Hebrew, karech mikan mikan. It's sort of like catch 22, you know, either way you go, you're going to lose, um, but, you know, um, I'm being pulled in opposite directions and I can't win either way. Okay, given that this is the reality, let me tell you something that's good for both of you, a mix of a Gadotan Halacha, which, by the way, was a classic form, you know, in the time of the Gemara and the early Gaonim, like the whole um, um, Sheiltos is a mixture when you give a drusha to the people, you, you know, you start with a Halacha question and then you give a whole drusha, and in the course of it, you answer the Halacha question. So he's going to do something similar and it's going to be related to us, which is why we're saying this. So, when fire goes out and eats the thistles, so goes out, it means like it escaped you. It wasn't in- intentional. Um, the one who actually lit it should be obligated. So it starts like saying it escaped you, but then it caused, this, caused the one who's responsible, the mavir, the one who like intentionally lit the fire. So this is being understood that the tetzei punishment goes forth from God, like the destruction of the base of Mikdash, or suffering, uh, you know, uh, the destruction of the base of Mikdash. And it doesn't, it's not directly attributable to God in the sense that, you know, that we brought it on ourselves. It was our sins. So that's the Tetzei Miatzma. Nevertheless, God is going to treat himself as the Mavir and take responsibility for it. Okay, I'll take responsibility for the fire that I lit, even though, to, you know, you, brought, you obviously was your sins. Um, I'm the one who lit the fire against Zion. God lit the fire against Zion, and it consumed the foundations. So therefore God says, so, I'm sorry, no, and then as a compensation, I will build it again, a new base of Mikdash with the fire. I will be for it as a wall of fire around, and for glory in its midst. So that was the halacha, the agadita, but you started with the pasuk, which now allows him to teach halacha. It starts by talking about it's like your property, like not you did it, the fire went out, so it's like, like your, your, your ox goes out, but then it calls you the mavir, the one who lit it. And this supports the position that says it's an obligation for Adam HaMazik in a certain way and not for Mamun HaMazik, a big sugi that we had earlier. Okay, now we're going to have another discussion about an agadita relating to um, Eish and getting into the debate of Rabbi Yehuda and the rabbis about Tamun uh, Be'eish, something hidden in a, in a like haystack, are you liable or not? Okay, David and David desired, this is when he was with war against the Philistines, who will give me water from the uh, well of Beit Lechem that's in the gate? And three of the uh, valorous ones, you know, uh, went out and broke through into the, uh, into the camp of the Plishim, and they draw, drew water for him. So it sounds like maybe they just needed water. But the Gemara is going to use the classic um, sort of metaphor that water is Torah, and Sha'ar is where the Zakanim are, so it has to learn about learning Torah from the Zakanim. So let's take a look. So it says, 
My Kamibayale, what was he asking? He wanted to know how do we paskin about something that's, uh, you know, hidden in a stack of a wheat and an a, and a mound of wheat and it gets destroyed. You have to pay for the thing that's hidden. Is it like Reb or is it like the rabbis? Now, if we knew the answer, there wouldn't be a debate of Reb and the rabbis. So they gave an answer, but we don't know what the answer was. Now, why exactly they decided it was Taman Be'eish, you know, we're going to see later that other Pesukim around this talks about uh, Gadish, it talks about a pile of lentils or a pile of wheat. So that sort of provoked the idea that this was some halachic question relating to this pile. And uh, maybe Rashi sort of could be theoretical, could be they actually burnt this pile of wheat and they wanted to know if somebody was liable for the things that were hidden. Um, okay. Rav Huna Amar Gedishim Disorim Disrael Havu Dahavu Mitamri Plishtim Behu. No, actually, what it was was that there was a mound of wheat uh, of uh, barley. Okay, because there's one pasuk that says barley, and one pasuk that says lentils. Anyway, there was a mound of barley that the Philistines were hiding in, uh, but the mound, but the barley was owned by a Jew. Are you allowed to save yourself by destroying your friend's property? Um, can we burn down this this the, 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 this pile? Of, uh, of, uh, of barley in order to kill our enemies, in order to flush them out. Um, okay. Um, so the answer he got was, you're not allowed to do it. But you are a king, and kings have special license. You know, kings can sort of, you know, just, you know, uh, burst, break through somebody's field and make for himself a path in somebody else's property. So you have special license. You're allowed to do it. Nobody would stop. Now, this is a very bizarre question. Can you save yourself with your friend's property? I mean, you know, you're supposed to protect life. The only things you're not allowed to do to protect life are So why should you not be, whoever said you can't go ahead and burn somebody's property? Now you could sort of say, well, you know, it's a little different when you're injuring, you know, when you're not just sinning to God, but it's, you know, you're causing bringing injury to somebody else to save yourself. But it does say that the thing you can't do is you can't murder doesn't say that you can't do other types of injury. Can you blind somebody in order to save yourself, whether because somebody's holding a gun to your head and says blind them, or because in a way for you to escape from whatever situation you're in, this is the only way out. You know, that's an interesting moral question. That's inflicting permanent injury on somebody, even though obviously it's about saving a life. Um, nevertheless, you know, the classic teaching is, is that it's only only murder and something like this property, and it's not even property that has any unique, special, emotional connection. It's just, you know, uh, barley, so why shouldn't you be able to, and then you'll compensate. So Tos actually says, you know, Rashi makes it sound like the real question, like the Gemara, was you allowed? But because of these questions, overwhelmingly the Rishonim say that obviously you're allowed to do it. The question is, if you destroyed it in the process of, of Pikuach Nefesh, um, um, is there going to be liability or not? And that was the question. And the answer is, yes, there is liability, but as a king, then you do not have to worry about it. Um, you know, there's also an interesting question about do these laws change at the time of war? You know, when obviously, um, you know, are there special laws at time of war rather than the normal civil laws that govern? Okay, so let's take a look. We'll do a little bit more. Um, was a different question. There was a pile of um, barley um, that was owned by Jews, or Israelites, and a pile of, um, uh, what do you call it, lentils that was owned by the Philistines. Um, can we use this barley, take it without permission, to feed, our, to feed you know, our animals? Because um, the, the animals that they were there at the time of war. I'm going to also show them, 
Yehim Sheladoshim, the Plishim. So then we will conquer, you know, the Plishim and we'll take over, we'll take their lentils and then we'll pay back the, 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 the Israelite who we took this from with lentils, which are worth a lot more. So in the end, he'll benefit from it. But at the moment, we're stealing. Okay, so... Um, they sent to him, you know, so don't think that you're allowed to steal if you pay back more. No, even if you're going to pay back for the Gzela, Rashahu. It's still, you're still wicked. You're not allowed to steal no matter how much you're going to pay back. Assuming again that it's not a pikuach nefesh issue. You have license and you don't have to pay when you want to do things as a king. Okay, and now we'll just read very, uh, just about the reason that we're focusing on wheat and uh, whatever, barley and lentils and maybe even a gadish like Rabbi Yehud and the rabbis because of the psukim, one pasuk in Divir Hayomim and one pasuk in Shmuel. One says that the sort of field was filled with um, lentils. Um, one says that was filled with barley. Um, and that was exactly the question. But if it was about, you know, burning it to save yourself and burning where the police were hitting, hiding, what are the two psukim telling me? Was it barley or was it the uh, lentils? Yeah, both were true. Okay, they were hiding in one's barley and hiding in one's avadashim, and one pasuk says one and one says the other, but both of them were true. Okay, we'll pick up with this tomorrow.